Marketing. From the American College of Financial Services, it's time for NextGen in 10. I'm Ross Riskin, chair of the NextGen Advisory Task Force, and for the next 10 minutes, you'll be joined by our hosts and guests discussing topics relevant to up-and-coming financial advisors. Hey, NextGen, it's Alana Phillips here. I am with Kathleen Burns Kingsbury today. She's a wealth psychology expert, author, and coach. Thank you for being here with us today, Kathleen. Thank you, Alana. I'm really excited to continue the conversation. Me too. We have so much good stuff. I know we can talk about with breaking money silence and just the psychology around money. But as you and I are talking, I have sort of an interesting conundrum. I'm hoping you're going to know the answer to. So Financial professionals in general, when I get on the phone with an advisor, for example, any given day, in the first 30 seconds, they will tell me how much money they made last year. They will describe the advisors on their team by how much money they produce. And they talk about their clients, right, by their money worth. So is this really a problem in our industry talking about money? Well, it's really interesting because when we're talking about how much we make, how much we manage how much you know our clients are worth, really we're coming from a place of ego, of like status, and we are not coming from a place of vulnerability. And so to really engage in a meaningful financial conversation that includes the emotions, people's values, dreams, concerns, mistakes, we have to be vulnerable. And financial advisors in general are not trained to be vulnerable, they're trained to be experts. And so I don't think it's anybody's fault, but the industry historically has really leaned on this expert hat. So what I'm asking people to do and what you need to do in order to have a meaningful conversation, whether it's in your own life or with your clients, is to be a little bit vulnerable, to really look at your own relationship with money, your own ability to talk about money and the emotional side of money, and then bring that vulnerability to your clients. Now, some advisors do a really great job of that, and some advisors really struggle because it's not what they think an advisor should do. But I think if we could lose the ego, which I feel like we're doing as the field evolves and becomes more diverse, that would be really great because then we could have some really cool, meaningful conversations. That sounds lovely. So I think it's interesting. We don't train on vulnerability typically, right? Most training programs within the industry, it is the harder technical skills and the soft skills are more sales, right? It's not the vulnerability. So is it bad though, that advisors talk about clients by their worth or they describe their own production or their own assets under management so openly? Two things right there. First of all, I'm not going to say whether it's bad or not bad. Everybody gets to decide what they're going to do. I feel like I'd really rather know about you first. And then if we're specifically talking about business strategy, you know, and I'm coaching around that, or we just happen to be having a conversation at a conference, that feels very different because that seems appropriate. And that's part of what we're talking about, your niche and who you like to work with and what their particular issues are financially based on, you know, their different net worth. The other thing that I think is really interesting is the word soft. I have been not thrilled with the word, you know, it's the softer side. Nothing against you. Everybody says it. And I think in an industry that has been created by men for men, and that is shifting and changing, that calling something soft is not really cool. And so we need to start using different language. We need to start thinking about 
whether it's the human side of finance, money and emotion connection, behavioral finance, I mean, find a term that works. But I think when we're talking about communication skills and we're talking about wealth psychology, really have to stop using this word soft because on some level, it's not directly said, but the message is less than. And it's not. It's the hard part. And, you know, the technical part is the hard part. They are equally challenging in different ways. Oh, yeah. And I think for most advisors, they'd rather the technical and analytical part when we dig into that. Oh, I need a better term for softer now, but the other hard part, right? That people are people and they have emotions and they have trauma that's tied to their money. How can we get better at training on that? So historically, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I might be the only person in my lane at a conference. And certainly there are other people who are really good at a similar, you know, wealth psychology, behavioral finance, communication skills. But now the trend has really been that not only will I see some of these colleagues at conferences because there'll be multiple sessions on it, there actually are conferences that are completely dedicated to behavioral finance or wealth psychology. And that's really exciting. I think the other thing that's a really positive indicator for the field is that Wharton uh, School of Business is doing this client psychology class that's co-sponsored by the CFP. And I actually just attended. I decided I wanted to see what advisors were receiving in terms of training and then brush up on you know, my skills. Even though it's an area of expertise, you can always learn more. And I was so thrilled to see the number of advisors that are really committed to doing a better job at the psychology piece of their job. And so I, I just think that this is a, a shift and a change. And as more and more advisors become interested, we're gonna see more training dollars put in that way. And so it's really about getting budget and really about getting to a place where larger firms are saying this is important. And I am seeing that trend. Kathleen, that is great with Wharton and, you know, the American College, as well as expanding their faculty around exactly this with behavioral finance. Which I think is really great because I see this happening across the country and I'm really glad your college is participating too. We'll pause here and we'll be right back after this break. Deliver financial planning for every person and every need through our chartered financial consultant education program. Find the tools and skills you need at theamericancollege.edu slash chfc. Get best-in-class preparation for your exam with our CFP Certification Education Program. Start your journey toward this value designation at theamericancollege.edu slash cfp. I look back, Kathleen, when I was running our intern program and I came from outside of the industry, so I didn't come tainted with how things needed to be, which was, you know, good and bad. But as we were looking through resumes, we'd always go to the finance department of a school to find candidates. And as, again, understanding now the money and psychology and what advisors were talking about, I said, well, why don't we go to the psych groups, right? Like they, I think are going to have a better understanding of how to talk about these things. And we found some really great candidates there, just looking outside of this normal finance bucket of students. So I wonder if other programs are thinking about that. Can you go to psychology or different departments to find even just to start with a candidate, right? Even if it's not the training yet. 
I think a lot of people in firms and colleges and, you know, people who are doing hiring are thinking that way. And so it's a lot about going to different majors and seeing how different majors can really contribute to this field. I also don't want to discount that we should still be going to the finance department because certainly there are a lot of jobs where those technical skills are important and valued. And then the other thing that I see is as we are looking at job changers and people who have life experience that might be a little bit different, that that also can be beneficial. There's a couple of nurses that I know that came from the nursing profession, became CFPs and are really great at it because they have that bedside manner. They also have the technical knowledge that they learned and it seems to be a nice blend. So I think just all sorts of diversity, bringing in more women, bringing in more people of color. I think all of that is going to just make the industry richer. Although I can understand for some that that might be a scary proposition. I think ultimately it's going to be really useful and we're going to do a better job serving clients. Yeah, which is hopefully the end game for all of us to serve clients better. But yeah, I think it makes so much sense. And we've had previously on the podcast, Dominique Henderson, who's working with career changers and helping to bring them in. I know we had partnered with the mom project of women returning to work and you do get folks that have experience that have their own money trauma that hopefully have had to face some of that in the real world that can then bring that to the client experience. I would have made a great advisor. I've just run out of career changes in time. (laughs) (laughs) The more folks that I think see this career is a really good option and that it isn't just sales and it isn't just finance, right? It is all of these other pieces that are, at least to me, I think so much more interesting than rate of return or talking about beta, you know? So, and, and with that in mind, I think a lot of those things, Kathleen, are becoming commoditized, right? The the hard stuff that we're talking about, the technical investment management or, you know, the rate of return that you get for your clients. Do you think that advisors' fees and how they charge for their work will become more tied to that psychology experience or breaking the money silence? I'm not sure exactly how it will end up, but I do believe, and NextGen are really good at this, at looking at our fee structures and really looking at what is the value we actually provide. And, you know, in the past, it was a little bit different. So charging for financial plans, charging or having somebody on your team who does wealth psychology, who works with families or works with individuals. I know for myself, I've gotten referrals from financial advisors where they say, you know, this person is just a little stuck in how they're responding to the market. And it's referring it out and saying, oh, if this person, you know, can have a little money coaching, then they can actually implement my recommendations. So I think it's really going to be interesting how the fee structure shifts and changes. And I love what some people are up to. It'll be really interesting to see where it lands. But when I said before that I felt like, you know, advisors would be irrelevant if they don't build this into their business, I I truly believe that because that is what clients want. That is where the industry is moving. And I think, you know, I can understand why it would be a little scary, but you can actually make some really great money on providing these services. 
I would think so, Kathleen. I I think about, you know, myself, my friends who are educated folks, we know how to use the internet. We can calculate some of these basic things or do it ourselves on some of it. But the things that are really valuable is if somebody could figure out, you know, how do I talk to my brother or sister about finances and how much they make and and what's going to happen with our inheritance or what happens when our parents die, right? That sort of conversation, if somebody can break that apart. And I think about even like, you know, getting somebody to, to be moved to tears in these conversations, will we measure our value by things like that, helping clients to have breakthroughs versus sticking to the dollars and cents? Well, in the behavioral change piece, right, whether they're crying or whether they're able to make progress, it really is about helping clients change behaviors in order to have a better future, however they define future. And there's not one way to get there. And so I think that is the really exciting part. And I think that is the value that advisors, some have been providing all along. And I think this is just going to become more and more mainstream. And my hope is eventually we won't have money silence because I can always shift careers again. I guess I can become an advisor. I just said. That's how we'll know. Yeah. When it's time for you to become an advisor. Well, as a final piece of advice for advisors, where maybe this seems daunting, Kathleen, that they've got to now become a psychology expert for their clients. What are just a couple of things that a especially newer advisor could incorporate into conversations with clients to help them break that money silence? The first thing is take the pressure off being an expert. You do not need to be an expert at this. You just need to start to figure out places where you can incorporate it, small, doable steps. I mean, if you're really interested and want to go full force, I could talk to you about how you can do that. The next thing is really thinking about where can I start to get information about money conversations? Now, there are other folks besides me, but I happen to know my resources. So you can go to my website and sign up for breakingmoneysilence.com tips. It's 52 tips. So you don't get them all at once. You get them once a week. And it's very small, creative ways in which advisors can build this into their dialogues with clients. The whole idea is pick the ones that work and leave the rest behind. And I also have a money talk exercise that I do in a lot of the presentations that if anybody was interested, or maybe I can make it available to you, Alana, I'd be more than happy to share with people who say, I don't know what type of questions. It can be as simple as, what did your parents teach you about money? What did you like about those messages? What did you dislike? And how would you like to have your relationship with money turn out? What types of conversations would you like to have? So it's just starting to explore that stuff with your clients. Yeah, that doesn't sound so daunting. So thank you, Kathleen, for sharing that with us, sharing those resources to our listeners. Please check out Kathleen's website. Go take those tips and start using them with your clients. Thanks so much, Alana. For more episodes, visit our website at theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. This has been Next Gen in 10, brought to you by the American College of Financial Services.